Hey everybody, it's Brock Falk, and I want to thank you for listening to this message from Heritage Church of Christ. We would be thrilled to share more content like this with you and make it easy for you to share it with others. You can find more messages like this on our podcast, or you can download our smartphone app by searching for Heritage Church of Christ in your app store. But most importantly, I hope this message encourages you to take a next step toward a thriving relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Exciting, but my Sunday school teachers didn't know what to do with it, you know, like that was pretty cool to me. And so I can remember being shocked the very first time I read the story in 2 Kings chapter 2 about the prophet Elisha being heckled by a group of teenagers from a nearby village. And he finally got like put up, like fed up with it. And he called down a curse on them. And the story says the next thing they knew, there were two bears that came out of the woods and like mauled these kids, you know. And as a teenage boy, I was like, I don't know if that's terrible or awesome, but it's exciting. You know, I was really excited about it. And I can remember being amazed the first time I read the story in Acts chapter 20 about this kid named Eutychus who had to suffer through a particularly long sermon. If you can relate to that, I don't want to hear about it. Um, but Eutychus was this guy, he, he's there one night when the apostle Paul was preaching, and the story goes that Paul preached on and on and on, and finally Eutychus fell asleep, and as you know, chance would have it, he, he tumbled out of a third-story window and fell to his death. And, and amazingly, Paul runs downstairs and heals this boy, and, and it, you know, I mean, it all had a happy ending, but honestly, I'm kind of thankful we don't have a balcony here at Heritage, because I don't want to take that risk, you know, I'm voting against that. But there's, there's another action story I remember discovering when I was younger, and it's always captivated my attention. And it's just a little brief episode from the life of David, who was the king of Israel. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 23. You don't have to turn there. We're not going to be here for very long. But in this passage, it's describing some of David's military, uh, you know, the soldiers that worked for David and that were devoted to him, including in particular three warriors who were especially brave. And in this chapter, there's a story about a time when David and his army was at war with the Philistines and the enemy, the Philistines had captured and occupied David's hometown of Bethlehem. And so he was particularly emotional about his hometown being captured. And verse 15 of that chapter says that at some point, King David got thirsty. He longed for water and he said, oh, if only somebody would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate at Bethlehem. And when he said this, like David is thinking nostalgically. He's being sentimental. He's remembering, you know, just how, how sweet everything was for him growing up in that area. And I mean, he's, he's having kind of an emotional moment, but he's not really expecting that anybody's going to be able to go to Bethlehem. But these three mighty warriors who work for him and are so devoted to him, they, they heard him say it. And they're like, all right, guys, let's go. And so the next verse said, the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistines lines, drew water from the well near the gate at Bethlehem and carried it back. And it was over 10 miles that they carried this bucket or jug of water back to King David. I mean, can you imagine when I was a teenager, I was thinking about the guts and the dedication that it took 
for these guys to make that happen. I mean, it's the stuff of legend. And when they got back and they handed that water to King David, he was so embarrassed that they had gone. He ended up pouring it out. He didn't even drink it because he never intended for them to act on those words, never intended for them to put themselves, their lives at risk the way that they did. But boy, don't you know it was hard on him to pour that water out, that hometown water, because in his mind's eye, in, in, in his imagination, he could just go right back in time and remember what it was like to have that sweet water from that well. And I bet it was tempting to go ahead and drink it because we all know the feeling of what it's like whenever you're craving something so particular, so specific that no substitute will quite come close, right? Maybe for you, it was a dessert that your grandma made. And I mean, you know, you haven't had it in a long time, but you can still remember what it was like to get a, a fork full of that dessert and to put that first bite in your mouth. You can still remember the feeling. Or maybe for you, it was a, you know, a special dinner that you ate at a, at a special moment in your life at a restaurant that you'll never forget. But somewhere deep down in the recesses of your memory, there are some tastes and some smells that instantly take you back in time, right? I mean, deep down inside your core memories, there's some tastes and smells that remind you of good times and people that love you. And when you've got those core memories locked away like that, you can almost taste it in your imagination. In fact, if you found yourself with the opportunity to have that experience one more time, to be able to taste that food, to be able to taste that drink one more time, there's no telling what you'd be willing to trade to have that moment again. Because hunger and thirst will drive you to some extremes, right? I mean, sometimes, sometimes you're just hungry. Sometimes it doesn't really matter. Sometimes you're willing to eat whatever's left over in the fridge. Sometimes, you know, you just need some calories to get you through the day. Sometimes you wish somebody else would pick the restaurant because you don't really care. You could eat just about anything right now. But sometimes, sometimes you've got a craving. Sometimes there's something particular that you've got your heart set on, something specific. Sometimes you feel picky about what you're going to eat because you know exactly what you want, and you don't want just any old cheeseburger. You want a Whataburger, right? Like, you don't want just any old pancakes. You want the pancakes that your dad used to make. And deep down, you'll always be able to tell the difference between the real thing and an imitation. And your appetite your craving, your hunger is for what's real. Well, this morning, as we continue our study about Jesus's formula for the good life, I wanna ask you to latch on to that feeling of craving. I'm gonna ask you to specifically, in your own imagination, think about that food, that meal, that drink in your history that if you just took one bite of it, one sip of it, you would instantly be connected to a feeling. You would instantly remember those days gone by because if you can connect to that feeling of hunger and that craving, it's gonna help you connect to what Jesus has to teach us together today. For the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series of messages taking a deep dive into the very first few sentences of Jesus' most famous 
sermon. It's recorded in the New Testament book of Matthew chapter 5, and this is a groundbreaking moment because as Jesus began this teaching, he was explaining the direction of his ministry, explaining the purpose of what his life was going to be all about, and here's what he was trying to tell people. He was saying that God's favor has arrived and it is being given to humans, but not just any humans. It's being given to the humans that nobody expected it to be given to. Jesus came preaching a message about the kingdom of heaven, and it was all about how God's rule, God's reign, God's presence was being made accessible for everybody. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was speaking to a crowd of people who didn't expect to receive blessing from God. They didn't expect to be called out as people who were fortunate in God's eyes. In fact, the people Jesus was speaking to thought of themselves as marginalized, forgotten, distant from God, but Jesus was surprising them with these words, naming them as the recipients of God's love and blessing. And so we've been through a a few of these already over the last couple of weeks, but today's passage comes from Matthew chapter five, verse six, and here's what Jesus has to say. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, he says. Now remember, I'm asking you as we go through the next few minutes, I want you to stay connected to that universal feeling of hunger and thirst, okay? Remember what it's like to feel hungry, but not just plain old hungry or thirsty, hungry for something specific, hungry for something in particular. And we all realize, whether we've thought much about it or not, we all know that hunger is something that happens to us, right? Hunger's not something we go chasing after. Hunger's not something that we choose. It's not something we pursue. Hunger is a feeling. It's an experience that happens to us. We don't pick getting hungry. We don't choose getting thirsty. We find ourselves in these conditions, and they get progressively more and more intense, right? Hunger and thirst continues to intensify until we do something to fill the void. You know what it's like to feel hangry, don't you? I mean, we start feeling symptoms in our bodies. We start expressing our dissatisfaction and our need if we don't get those appetites met. When we get hungry or when we need a drink because we're thirsty, we'll start to experience symptoms like weakness, impatience, maybe even feelings of illness until we do something about it. But you can't just eat anything. You have to eat something that was meant to be food. We can't just drink anything. We have to drink something that was meant to be consumed. I've read a bunch of stories in the last couple of months about sailors and fishermen in different parts of the world who got lost at sea for weeks at a time. And when they were finally rescued and they talked about how challenging it was, they talk about the difficulty of being so thirsty, surrounded by water, knowing that that water would not satisfy their thirst, only fresh water would do. And so here's Jesus talking in terms of hunger and thirst, talking in terms of blessing, but he's not talking about physical hunger. He's talking about a spiritual hunger. 
He's declaring something here about God. He's saying God is with people who experience intense hunger, but not just any hunger. He says a hunger for righteousness, which is one of those big Bible words, right? That's not a word we use all the time. I tried to think of a time when I've heard the word righteousness used in a non-religious context, and about the only thing that came to mind was that sea turtle from Finding Nemo that talked like a surfer, you know, righteous, right? He said that all the time. But that's not a word we use much. This is really sort of a Bible word sort of a spiritual word. It gets a lot of use in the scriptures in a couple of different ways. If you were to go further on in your Bible, beyond the story of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and move past the stories of Jesus's death and resurrection, then you would start seeing righteous being used as an indicator of something that God gives to humans that God gives us this status of justified righteousness before him. But prior to that, here in Matthew and in the majority of the earlier scriptures, righteousness is about how we interact with each other. It's about right relationships. It's It's about behavior in our interactions with other people. In the scripture that we're talking about, Righteousness is about how you treat other people. And the word righteous may not be a word we use very often. Righteousness may not be a word that's in our vocabulary that we utilize much, but I would argue that each one of us just knows righteous behavior when we see it. We instantly recognize when somebody does right or does the righteous thing for somebody else. And we know, we understand that in a relationship, we have a duty, we have a responsibility to do the right thing, right? I mean, imagine that you, if you have a roommate, one of the duties you have to each other is that you, you've got to respect each other's stuff. You can't just decide that whatever the roommate brings into the house is fair game for you to take and use and consume because that would be a breach of the relationship. It wouldn't be right or righteous. Or imagine you've got a neighbor who borrows your lawnmower, borrows one of your tools, borrows a pan, borrows your car, and when they return it, it's damaged, it's broken, it's dirty, it's not in the shape that it was in when you loaned it, and you would feel like that was a violation of that relationship because it wouldn't feel right. And we all understand that relationships have these kinds of responsibilities and obligations built in. And so righteousness may be a biblical word, but you don't have to know a lot of Bible to know what righteousness looks like. Acting righteously is just being faithful to the way you ought to behave in a particular relationship. Acting righteously is when you actually do what you ought to do in your relationship with somebody else. And we've all got relationships like this all over. I mean, it's not limited to the close relationships of the people that live with you, the people in your family, the people in your inner circle. There's a way to live righteously in a marriage, a family, a friendship, but there are also ways to live righteously in a neighborhood and in a city and in the global community. Did you realize that here in Texas, and I assume in many other states, There's a law that says if you're involved in an accident and somebody else may be hurt, you have to stop. 
you have to stop and try to help. Even if you've never met them before, even if you don't know who they are, even if you don't have any history and you don't have any emergency training, the law says you have to stop and try to help because it's the righteous thing to do. As a society, we've decided, we've agreed and established that you've got a duty to try to help. And this is what righteousness is all about. Righteous living means living with concern for the needs and the feelings and the well-being of others. And you have to recognize what righteousness is in order to understand what Jesus is saying with today's blessing statement. Because he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when we combine what we know about hunger, we've experienced that. When we combine what we've learned about hunger with what we have learned about righteousness, we come to understand Jesus is saying, blessed are people who have this intense desire to see the right thing happening around them, but their desire has been so far unfulfilled. Blessed are the ones who are still hungry for the right thing to happen. Think about that. If you're hungry or thirsty, it's not because you've got the food and the drink in front of you that you're in the process of eating, right? A hungry person is a person who doesn't yet have the food that would satisfy them. And so Jesus is saying, blessed are the people who are longing for for righteousness to become the norm. Blessed are the people who are looking forward to a time when things are better. Blessed are the people who take a look at all of the corruption and the dishonesty and the injustice and the prejudice in our world, and it bothers them. Jesus says, blessed are the people who can't just look around and feel satisfied with the way things are. Blessed are the people who see the problems and are hungering for something different. And when we read that, we might immediately think to ourselves, well, wait, isn't everybody bothered by injustice? Isn't everybody bothered by prejudice? Isn't everybody bothered by corruption and dishonesty? And in one sense, you could say that's true, but the truth is more specific than that because the truth is that we're all bothered by the injustices that are hurting us, right? We're all bothered by the unrighteousness that is directly affecting us, but it's easy. In fact, it's common to be indifferent to some of the injustices that don't seem to impact our day-to-day life. It's easy, in fact, it's common to become indifferent to the injustices that only affect somebody else. It's easy to ignore, easy to turn a blind eye to the suffering of people that we don't know, the suffering of people that we don't see, the suffering of people that look different than us, talk different than us, live in a different place than us. It's easy to turn a blind eye to the suffering of people when it's not directly affecting us. It's easy to distract ourselves and just be satisfied as long as we don't feel like the world is holding us back or pushing us down. And Jesus is saying something to us here. Jesus is saying, blessed are the people who can't ignore other people's problems. Blessed are the people who can't ignore the pervasive unrighteousness that's happening all around us. And don't forget, Jesus is talking to people who feel powerless in their society. 
Jesus was talking to people who were living under the political and the military oppression of the Roman Empire. Jesus was talking to people who were being misguided by their religious leaders, leaders who were more interested in honor for themselves and ritual than they were interested in mercy and kindness. Jesus was talking to people who had received a lot of unrighteous treatment talking to people who had experienced lots of unrighteous behavior. But the good news that Jesus was sharing and the big surprise of this whole sermon was that Jesus was saying, God's bringing about change. God's making this better. God is bringing this toward a conclusion. And Jesus, speaking to these long-suffering, vulnerable people, said, you're the fortunate ones. Blessed are you. It's your lucky day because God is addressing the hunger that has been building up inside of you. God is dealing with the thirst that you have been unable to quench. And so Jesus' statement, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, ends with this promise. They will be filled. Jesus is promising that God's intervention, God's plan is going to ultimately repair this broken world, that wrongs will be righted, injustices will be addressed, evildoers will be dealt with, and those that have been eagerly waiting for the day when God righted the wrongs and dealt with the problems, they're going to be so relieved to find out that all along they wanted the same thing that God did. All along, they were hungering for the same thing that God desires for us. They were hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And so when we read this beatitude today, when we read this short blessing statement from Jesus, it challenges us to ask ourselves the same question, the same processing question that we've been asking all the way through this series. And that question is this, is it possible that Jesus knows what he's talking about? When Jesus says, blessed are the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, is it possible that Jesus is right? Is it possible that Jesus knows that of which he speaks? Because truthfully, most of the time when we feel like, oh, We need some justice around here. Most of the time, we don't feel blessed. Most of the time, when we find ourselves hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we don't feel like we're in an enviable position. But Jesus is saying, the good life is coming to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The good life is God's gift to those who, as we've seen earlier in our series, are poor in spirit, those who are mourning, those who are meek. Jesus is saying God is delivering the good life to people who don't always feel blessed. Could he be right? Is it possible that Jesus knows? In other words, can I allow myself to believe that having a constant hunger, an unsatisfied passion for justice is part of a life worth living? I think it all comes down to a question of 
What are we really hungry for? What do we really think will satisfy our spiritual hunger, our spiritual thirst? What am I really hungry for? Not in my stomach, but in my spirit, in my soul. I mean, I've already, we've already pointed out, everybody wants justice when they're the victim. Everybody wants justice when they've been treated unfairly, when someone's done them wrong, when someone's done what they shouldn't have done in a relationship. We all want that to be addressed. We all want to be correct, have that corrected. We're not anti-justice. We're not anti-righteousness. But Jesus is asking us to look beyond ourselves. Jesus is look, asking us to look beyond our own borders and our own boundaries, to look past our own interests. Jesus is asking us to give our attention to where God's attention is focused. Jesus is promising blessing for people whose interest in righteousness doesn't just stop at the border of their property, doesn't just stop at the edge of their family circle, Jesus is promising blessing for those whose interest in righteousness doesn't stop at the border of their state or their country. Jesus is promising blessing for people whose hunger for righteousness won't be filled and their thirst for righteousness won't be satisfied until everybody experiences justice and righteousness. Jesus is promising blessing to people who recognize unrighteousness is everywhere, but it starts right here. Because when we're the kind of people who crave God's righteousness, when we're the kind of people who can't stand to be without God's righteousness, when we're thirsty to see justice happen in the world, we become the kind of people who act on that. We become the kind of people who lead the way. We become the kind of people who are aware of our own impact. We become the kind of people who pay attention to our blind spots. We become the kind of people who want to know when we've messed up. The kind of people who want to know how we've been hurtful even in ways we didn't realize. When we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God, we become the kind of people who take so much interest in the suffering of others and the plight of others that we can't help but stand up and try to be a part of the solution. And when that happens, when we become the kind of people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we start to look like the one who called us to be his disciples. We start to look like Jesus. And so I want to ask you this morning, what are you hungry for? I, I know it's almost lunchtime, but I don't mean what are you hungry for in your stomach. I mean, what are you hungry for in your soul? What are you hungry for in your spirit? Because God, God wants to give you a living water that no other, nothing else will satisfy. God wants to put inside of you a core memory, a hunger, a craving that can only be met by being a part of God's story and a part of God's will. In just a minute, we're gonna taste it together.
Every week during our service, we participate in this little, it's a meal, kind of. It's a little piece of cracker, a little cup of juice. If We have them in the back of the room, and if you didn't grab one on your way in, you can just raise your hand. Somebody will bring you one from the back. But we do this every week. We participate in this little meal. It's not really much of a meal for the stomach. One tiny little piece of cracker, one tiny little cup of juice. But for the soul, for the soul it's filling. For the soul, this meal takes you back. Like grandma's dessert, dad's pancakes. This is the kind of meal that takes you back and reminds you of what made you and who you are and who you're called to be. And so when we take this little piece of cracker and this cup of juice, we remember the story, we remember the love, we remember the generosity, the hospitality of Jesus. But today I'm gonna ask you to have a conversation with God on your own. As we eat this cracker and drink this juice, I'm gonna ask you to have a conversation with God that says, God, help me taste the future that you want for me. Build a core memory in my heart, in my soul, so that when I taste this juice and this cracker, it'll remind me of the future that you've dreamed of for your people. The future that you have promised to enact for your creation. God, make me hungry for the things that you're hungry for. God, make me want the things that you want. God, teach me to crave what you designed me to need. Righteousness, justice, peace, contentment, joy, reconciliation, gentleness, self-control. God, teach me to want those things so that when my heart starts feeling empty, and I start thinking, boy, I gotta do something. I'm getting hangry. Teach me that you are the only thing that can really satisfy. Teach me that.